Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. This is episode four of what we hope will become uh, quite a few, if not hundreds, or maybe even thousands, who knows how many different uh, episodes we'll end up with. But today, I want to talk about something that seems to be a topic of conversation in lots of forums that I visit, as well as the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, and quite a few other groups I'm a part of in Facebook, as well as, really, it's a, it's a major topic of conversation with some local shooters I'm good friends with. Today, I want to talk about ammo, ammunition, Rimfire ammunition in particular, what makes it uh, great what makes it a giant pain or headache at times as well. Um, part of what made me think about doing this episode was a conversation I had with uh, a group of four shooters that I've become friends with through the years. Uh, all four of these fellows, um, they've been shooters really their entire lives, but rim fires were always something that they would just take along maybe a 22 pistol or maybe a, a 10-22. Uh, they'd take that along to the range when they were going to shoot their uh, center fire handguns or rifles or shotguns or whatever. The 22s were nothing more than just something to play with in between um, changing calibers and rifles or uh, just letting barrels cool. So about three years ago, um, these guys and I were talking and they were explaining to me how they were shooting these awesome groups out of their 6.5 Creed Moors and 6mm Creed Moors and 308s. And they were showing me some, some pretty good groups that they had shot at 300 yards. And when I say pretty good groups, I don't ever judge someone's group because I don't know where that person is as far as how skilled of a shooter they are. Um, don't know what their rifle's capable of what they're personally capable of, not to mention the fact that, you know, let's face it, some days, I don't care who you are, you're just not on your game. But the groups they were showing me were pushing uh, two and a half to three inches that they had shot these at 300 yards. So, you know, just MOA or maybe just a, a tad under. And as they were bragging about the groups, I mentioned to them, you know, hey, those are, those are really good. You know, congratulations. Glad you've had a, a good time getting out there and shooting. Sometime I'd love to tag along or maybe you guys could just, you know, take some of your 22s and, and see what they'll do at 300. Well, of course, the first thing that these guys um, who are all considerably older than me, um, basically they're the, the age of my parents, um, they're retired and just great group of guys. They all started laughing and the first thing they explained to me was, you can't shoot a 22 to 300 yards. It won't go that far. And I listened to this for a while, and I let them have their laughs. And then I pulled out a video on my phone. And it was a video that I had shot through my spotting scope. And it was a five-shot group that I had shot at 300 yards that came in just a hair over three inches. And some of you are going to listen to that and say, wow, that's incredible. Others are going to laugh and go, 
three inches at 300 yards. That's MOA. You know, my rifle shoots half an MOA all day. Um, you know, Chris is a terrible shooter, whatever. I get it. I've been there, thought that, probably said that some as well. But on that particular day, it just so happened that I was testing out some ammo in um, a Seiko quad range, or Seiko for those who prefer the the, uh, the correct pronunciation. Um, so this quad range is a very accurate rifle, and it's one that I really enjoy shooting. And on that particular day, um, I had my phone... Um, I had a phone an adapter for my phone so that it was on my spotting scope. And I really do that just so I can look at down at my phone screen instead of having to come off the gun and lean down or lean over to look through the spotting scope. But the rifle was shooting really good that day. I thought, you know, let's go ahead and just hit record and let's see what happens. And so those guys all went from laughing and giving me a hard time for, you know, 300 yards or just being out of range for a 22 to slowly but surely they started getting quiet and watching as one bullet drops in, then a second, then a third, then a fourth, then a fifth. And that particular video is really, I think, one of the driving forces behind that group of guys becoming hardcore rimfire shooters. So much so that every week when they get together to shoot, there have been several weeks where none of them brought any of their centerfire rifles and only bought or brought um, their rimfire rifles. And I think I've mentioned these this, these fellows in the past in a previous episode, but just in case I haven't, um, to give you an idea of what has happened with them, they went through a progression. They mostly started out with C. Let's see, I think uh, one one or two guys may have had a Savage. Um, another guy or two had uh, a Marlin. A few of them had ten twenty twos. And then, um, let's see. Oh, and one fella had a CZ, or maybe actually, I guess, two CZs. A CZ-452 varmint and a CZ-455 varmint. And what's been interesting is as these guys have shot more and more, they've progressed from um, the Marlins and the Savages and uh, 1022s to CZs, um, several of the guys purchased CZs. Um, they all at one point purchased Ruger precision rimfires. And, um, that I guess is a topic for a different episode, but let's just say that was a short lived project and they all bought them and sold them very quickly. Um, but each of those guys now have moved on from their Savages and Marlins to CZs and to Onshoots. Um, the 1022 guys have pretty much given up, or one of them, um, I let him shoot my kid Classic, and he was pretty impressed by it. And so 
he still has a Ruger 1022, but the only thing Ruger about it is the uh, receiver and the magazines. He's replaced everything else with Kid and um, swapped out stocks a couple of times now. Um, but really, one of the things that, as I've watched these guys progress, one of the things that has always been a topic of conversation was ammunition. And I really and truly, I, I love being around these guys. They're, they're so much fun. And, of course, they love to give me grief for costing them so much money. But what's interesting about it is as they progressed from um, not, not really, uh, I wouldn't call them starter rifles or low-end rifles or inexpensive rifles or anything like that. I mean, let's face it. Uh, what's expensive and what's inexpensive is a relative term. And especially these days, uh, you know, there, there aren't necessarily many cheap guns. Um, it just depends on what, what you consider to be cheap. But as these guys have progressed, um, they went from, like I said, the Savage and Marlins to the CZs to the Anschutz. Um, one of the, the shooters actually, after uh, spending some time with my voodoo, he decided to go ahead and pick up a voodoo as well. Um, they went through a similar progression with scopes. They're, they started off with having some center fire scopes on their rim fires, and they've progressed to um, moving, I guess you could say, up the ladder, so to speak, on scopes to um, you know, more of a tactical style scope. But some that have either side focus or adjustable objective, um, some higher power uh, scopes, higher magnification, um, and you know, getting uh, moving towards more of your tactical style turret or target turrets. And so, uh, none of those were, were the types of scopes that they have used in the past. And um, they've went from a little bit of everything from Tasco and Simmons to. Uh, they have a lot of, a lot of them have purchased Vortex and some of the, the better Athlon scopes as well. Um, few of them have Night Forces and, you know, they've just continued this progression. But just like the progression with the rifles, where they were starting out with what they had, whether it was the, the Savage, the Marlin, or the CZ, and the same thing for the scopes, whether it was a Simmons or maybe a loophole in a few cases. When it came to shooting, they were still getting really frustrated, even though their equipment was getting better. They were still getting somewhat frustrated because they couldn't get consistency. They couldn't get consistently small groups. They couldn't get consistent dope, whether shooting at 25 yards, then going out to 15 and 75 and 100 and so on. Um, they were they were trying to understand what was wrong with their rifle and scope system that would cause them to have a shot fly two or three inches low, or maybe in some cases an inch or two high at whatever range they happen to be shooting at. And as we were diagnosing the problems, you know, action screws are tight. Um, all of them had, have moved over to having rails on their rifles. So made sure that, you know, to pull the scope rings off, check the rail screws were tight. 
and the um, the uh, rings on, or the screws on the scope rings, they were good and tight. And so we made sure the system was good, but they were still getting those flyers. And that's when it occurred to me that we'd never really talked about ammunition. And come to find out, I mean, they, those guys were shooting. They're doing what they should do. They're shooting up the ammo that they have, which is just a mix of either everything from a sting, you know, the, the stingers to some old Winchester PowerPoints to Remington Golden Bullets and Thunderbolts and Aguila and just, you know, a hodgepodge of different 22 rounds. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. I am a huge fan of if you've got it, shoot it. But shoot it with the understanding that you may not see the results that you're looking for. Because unlike in the centerfire world, where once you find a round that shoots well in your rifle, rimfire ammunition is a whole different creature. And... Most of the people who are going to listen to this podcast probably already know this, but for those that aren't aware or for those who are um, somewhat familiar but really don't understand the process and how it works, um, I'm going to give you a brief description as I understand it. And I've been fortunate to sit in and listen to a couple of uh, gentlemen from Ely speak a few years ago at a, uh, a large bench rest match. That's actually held very close to me each year over the week leading into Memorial Day and then the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's called the Triple Crown. And I heard some of the representatives from Ely um, trying to explain a little bit about how ammunition's made and really why there is so much inconsistency. And when ammunition is produced, whether it's centerfire or rimfire, it's produced in lots and lots is just, you know, it's a certain number of, of rounds that are uh, made in a particular lot. And that lot may be driven by, um, you know, a certain time frame or a certain order that they're looking to fill. But each order is, it, it comes through, or each uh, box of ammunition that you purchase, it's coming from a certain lot. And so one of the things that uh, I've learned, especially from bench rest shooters, is so I've always understood that it's important to test ammunition to see what shoots best in your rifle. And rimfires are a unique creature from the standpoint of the way that rimfire ammunition works with the rifles. You can have two of the exact same rifle. And I don't care if it's a Savage, a Marlin, a CZ, an Anschutz, a Cooper, uh, a Voodoo, a Kid, a Valkortsen. I don't care who makes that rifle. You can have two rifles that were produced back-to-back. Consecutive serial numbers. Everything is identical about these two rifles. And yet, one rifle may shoot a particular round very, very well. And, and it could be anything. Let's let's call it um, SK standard. We'll just pick that one because it's typically a really good round. So rifle one may shoot incredibly small groups very consistently with that SK standard. 
Rifle number two that was produced the exact same day, probably five, less than five minutes or 10 minutes less than rifle number one, using the exact same components, the same people and machines putting the rifle together. Everything is identical about the two rifles. Rifle two may not shoot SK standard very well at all. And instead, the barrel on that rifle may prefer, let's say, um, RWS R50, or maybe it's uh, it would prefer Ely Target or Federal uh, 711B, Federal Match. So that is one of the maddening things about rimfires is figuring out what round shoots best in your rifle. And if you happen to be somebody who has quite a few rifles, you can easily spend an enormous amount of money buying ammo for each of your rifles that they prefer. And then it's important, very important, to, if you go that route, to make sure that you know and can remember which rifle. And, and the best way i found to remember things like this is to write it down. But remember what ammunition each rifle prefers. And again, this is something I learned from some friends of mine that shoot in the uh, rimfire benchrest world, whether it's IR5050 or ARA or even the PSL, uh, Professional Shooting League. And, and I'm sorry, IR5050 uh, is, it's uh, the, I guess the, at least in my area, it's the best known uh 50 yard and 50 meter uh, bench rest, rimfire bench rest organization. And um, then you have the ARA, which is the American Rimfire Association. I believe that's what it stands for. Um, and it's another great league, uh, very similar to IR5050. I think the rules are just a tad bit different and the targets are a little bit different. And then you have the PSL, which is the Professional Shooting League. And again, similar to IR5050 and AR, um, the ARA, um, but I think, the, again, the rules might be just a tad bit different, um, and I think the target's just a little bit different. But what I've learned from Ventress shooters in particular, more so than any anyone else, because when those guys are shooting, they're essentially shooting at an X-ring and a uh, on a target. They're shooting 25 of those for score, and the... Uh, the scoring in a lot of matches, it, it, the best score you can have is a 2,500, which means you have 25, um, you've got 25 targets you shot for score. All 25 of those are in the 10 ring, which gives you a total of 2,500 points. And the best possible score would be a 2,500 with 25 X's. And so, uh, for that X, and, and, and again, I'm mixing, I think, the IR5050 and ARA and some of the others, but the X count, which is the, the uh, that is the, the perfect shot, uh, the best, of course, would be 25, one per target. And for the guys who are shooting at that level, of course, they have outstanding equipment, you know, custom-built bench guns. They're all using... Uh, fantastic optics. Um, most of the shooters that I know are either using um, Night Force competition, 15 to 55 scopes. 
or the uh, um, I've, I've known of several guys shooting the Cytron 10 to 60 optics, um, the Collis 10 to 50. Uh, I know some guys that are using those. So, I mean, we're talking about fantastic custom built bench rest rifles with fantastic optics on top. And again, these folks are shooting at 50 yards or 50 meters, but they need pinpoint accuracy, precision accuracy. And because there's only one round fired at each target, they need the most consistent performing ammunition in their rifle. Because that's the difference each round being consistent and going exactly where they aim and they're accounting of course for the wind and everything else. But that round going where it's supposed to go is the difference between coming in first or that round going out of the 10 ring and dropping into the, say the eight ring. That could be the difference between first and fourth or 10th, just depending on the match that they're shooting in. And so all of those guys have, have explained to me that really in the bench rest world, once you have the rifle and the scope that you're happy with, at that point, the only other factor that they look at, uh, of course, that they have awesome one-piece rests and two-piece rests and, and everything, but the main factor that they spend all of their time looking for is the right lot of ammunition. And so they're constantly testing, looking for what lot shoots the best and shoots consistently in that particular rifle. And so once they find a particular lot number of whatever manufacturer, it could be Ely, it could be Lapua, um, those seem to be the ones I see the most, but obviously there's others, there's RWS, Federal, um, I don't think on a, in a bench rest match you're going to see anybody shooting Winchester or Federal or uh, Remington. <sighs> Probably not going to see them shooting any Aguila either. But at the same time, you know, every manufacturer does produce their ammo in lots. So the goal is to figure out what lot shoots best in your rifle. And then once you figure out the lot and how well it shoots, the goal becomes to buy as much as you possibly can of that lot. And in theory, once you buy that as much as you can, whether it's a brick, two bricks, which a brick is 500 rounds for those of you that aren't familiar. Um, so there are 10 bricks in a case, which is 5,000 rounds. And I know shooters that will purchase ammunition a box at a time. I know others that purchase it a brick at a time. And I know um, several guys that they'll buy their ammo um, a case or two at a time. And they're doing this just for the convenience. Are you paying a lot of money up front? Absolutely. But you now have the convenience of being able to go to your safe or your ammo locker or however you store your ammunition and be able to grab a few boxes or a brick or whatever when you want to go shoot and not have to wonder how that ammunition is going to perform in your rifle, which is huge, especially if you end up in a scenario um, like one that I find myself in quite often where 
I shoot in a, a number of local matches, but unfortunately, um, with work and family life and everything else, um, I'm very blessed with all of those things being a part of my life, but each of those things takes time and I just don't get as much time to go to the range and practice as I used to. And so for me, the, um, have finding, you know, spending a little bit of time and figuring out what ammunition shoots well in a particular rifle can really mean the difference between whether or not I'm even shooting in a match. And to give you a great example of that, um, a few months ago, I happened to stop in on a Friday afternoon to get a haircut. It just so happens there's a gun shop directly beside my barber. Um, so, you know, I'll let you decide if I go to that barber because he has the best haircut or if it's because of the convenience. But uh, after getting a haircut, I walked into the gun shop and I'm talking with the two owners, just seeing what's new. Um, they know me very well. They know that um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of rim fires. And so typically whenever I walk in, they'll tell me before I even ask, Hey, we've got this new, um, or this, we've got this trade in this on shoots that somebody has traded in, or we've got a Kimber, um, rifle that somebody has traded in Kimber 22. We thought you might be interested. Well, on this particular day, um, they didn't really have anything that caught my eye, but just in conversation, the one of the owners mentioned to me, hey, you should come and shoot at our match tomorrow. And I was like, well, tell me what kind of match it is, um, because um, just just to be blunt, in the area I live, rimfire bench rest is huge. Um, this is actually the home of IR5050. And as I mentioned before, given the fact that um, we do have uh, that huge local match, or it's, it's a national match, but it's shot locally to me uh, every year at Memorial Day. And there's lots of other uh, state matches and um, associated matches uh, over the Labor Day weekend. We recently had the, I believe, I'm correct on this, the Auto Benchrest Association. I believe they had their um, Virginia State match. And um, I don't think there was a national match involved as part of that, but it was the, the state match for the Auto Benchrest Association, which for those of you that aren't familiar with that, the Auto Benchrest Association is basically, it's still benchrest rifles. Uh, it's just that these are all semi-auto. So most of them uh, that I have seen personally are built off of either a 1022 uh, action from Ruger, or most of these are still custom guns, but they're still bench rest rifles. And so that was part of the reason why I wanted to, to know a little bit more about this match before I decided if I wanted to, to go and shoot. And when he explained to me that in this particular match, the uh, it's, it's a modified silhouette match, meaning that uh, standard rimfire silhouette is shot standing and you're shooting uh, chickens at 40 yards offhand. Um, let's see, the pigs are at 60 yards. The turkeys are shot at 77 yards and the rams are shot at 100 yards. And these are all metallic silhouette. 
And like I said, you're, you're standing and shooting offhand. And it's a discipline that I have not shot in years. And uh, to be quite honest, I enjoyed it. Um, I was never the best with it. And uh, the match that I shot in was moved from a Saturday to, uh, I think it's shot on a Tuesday now. And for that reason, it's just not something I can get to easily. So I got away from, from shooting those types of matches and really hadn't shot any standing silhouette in probably 10 to 15 years. So when he explained to me that in their particular match, they shoot, uh, there's actually two different matches that happen. Um, the first one is what they refer to as modified silhouette. And by modified silhouette, what they use is, or what the, the way that they shoot it is they shoot the chickens from a bench at, uh, what, what equates to 82 yards on this particular range. Some of the target markers are in meters, others are in yards. Um, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but when they were trying to explain, you know, which ones were in yards and which ones were in meters, I just wrote everything down they told me. And then <laughs> when I went to the match, I took my, um, my laser rangefinder. And so I ranged each of those targets that were in meters to make sure that my math was correct for the, and wrote them down in terms of yards. So it was much easier for me to look at my dope and be where I needed to be. But anyway, at 82 yards, um, that's where the chickens are shot. And that's shot from a bench as well as the turkeys, which are shot at 100 yards again from a bench. And then after you shoot those two sets of targets, then you shoot the rams at 50 yards offhand and the pigs um, at 40 yards offhand. Now, what's important about this is these, these metallic silhouettes of this particular match, they are uh, one-fifth scale, which means they're all small. And in this particular match, when, after the owner of the gun shop explained to me how it works, he said, no, the second match that we have is what's referred to as a long range match. And so on the long range match, you're shooting the chicken. That's a chicken swinger instead of the, the silhouettes that you're hitting and just going flying on these, just because of the distance and having to go out and reset targets, they only shoot uh, swingers. But the chicken, again, is shot at 82 yards, and it's shot from a bench. The pig swinger is shot at 100 yards, again, from a bench. And then the turkey swinger is shot at 164 yards from the bench, while the ram swinger is, depending on the, the day, uh, it's anywhere from, I think I've ranged it from 202 yards to 207 yards, um, and again, you're shooting from a bench. Well, when he was explaining this to me, it's 4.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. And he's telling me that I need to be at the range by 8 o'clock to 8.30 the next morning because the match will start at 9. And if I get there early, you know, I can practice or whatever. So thankfully, um, I didn't have to go home and try to figure out my dope, um, you know, data on previous engagements. I know the drop for 
the ammunition and the particular rifle that I decided I would shoot in the modified silhouette match. Um, it's a Kimber uh, SVT, a Kimber of New York K22 SVT. It's a it's a fabulous rifle. It's one of my favorites. And I decided to shoot that particular rifle because I've been moving scopes on several others. And this one still had uh, the same scope that I've had on it for a couple of years now. It also, um, you know, I, it's consistent with the ammunition that I have for it. So I knew that I could take that rifle, go out, and as you should do anytime you shoot a match, if you get the opportunity, you should fire a few rounds just to make sure nothing has changed. But I didn't have to second guess my entire system and get out there early and be really, really stressed about trying to figure out what um, what the dope was, where, you know, what my drop was going to be from from the 100 yards out to the 164 or the 205 or 207. Um, I didn't have to question, this is, this is off the topic of ammunition, but also because I have a, a really good scope on there, it's a SIG Tango 6, uh, 3 to 18. It's a fantastic scope. Mine is the older 30 millimeter tube version, uh, not the newer one, which has a 34 millimeter tube. Um, I'm sure that one's great as well, but I happened to pick mine up on closeout because they had, had transitioned from the 30 millimeter tubes to the 34. And I can't say enough great things about that, that optic. The glass is fantastic. The reticle is spot on. Uh, it's great for the type of shooting that I do. And the turrets are fantastic. The rifle, um, you know, shoots exceptionally well with it. And that SIG, um, I mean, it tracks it. If I, when I'm dialing in, if I dial 2.3 mils, I'm moving 2.3 mils. I'm not, I'm not having to question, did it go, uh, did I move two mils? Did I move 2.4? Uh, it's, it's spot on. But anyway, the reason I, I wanted to bring this scenario up, it's because I had other rifles that I could shot in the match. And they, and you know, several of them have great scopes on them, which again would have taken me, less than five rounds to have them zeroed and ready to shoot that match. But several of those rifles, I'm still testing, trying to find ammunition that I feel is consistent in them, especially not so much for um, the offhand portion, because if you have seen me shoot offhand, you'll understand that I could be shooting a shotgun and it wouldn't matter. Um, that's going to change though. I'm going to get much better with it. But specifically when it comes to being able to shoot off of that bench, or if you're in shooting in a match where you're shooting prone or whatever the case may be, what's important is that you know what that ammunition is going to do. And in this particular Kimber, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that the particular lot of Lapua Center X that I have it is lights out in that rifle. And so that gave me the confidence to be able to go out and go shoot that rifle in that match. I had a fantastic time. Um, the bench portion went uh, almost as well as it, as it possibly could have. Um, I ended up nicking one of the chickens and spinning it, but not knocking it down. So instead of a perfect score of 20 
coming off of the bench, I ended up with a score of 19 because I did not knock that one chicken down. Once we got to the offhand portion, uh, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time and quite a few rounds practicing. And the way you're practicing on um, on the match or during the match is you have 10 minutes to shoot 10 targets for score. But you can shoot an unlimited number of ciders. And so I kept practicing by shooting at the ciders. And I was missing some and then hitting as well. And then by the time I started transitioning over to actually shooting the targets, I had already fired probably 20 rounds at 50 yards before I started shooting. And then I did the same thing again at 40 yards. Well, for those of you that shoot offhand, you'll understand where I'm coming from. And those of you that have not done it, I would highly recommend that you try it. It's a very humbling experience. And one of the things that happens during that time is your arm will get tired. I don't care how light or how heavy your rifle is. And my Kimber is not a lightweight rifle. At some point, you get tired of trying to hold that rifle up and keep it steady. And so as you begin to get tired, and especially in my particular case, I didn't rest nearly enough between shots. And so out of the first 20 round or 20 targets I shot on the bench, I was only down one point. So if I shot, if I cleaned the rest, I would have had a 39 out of a possible 40. By the time I was finished shooting the match, knowing that going into the last 20 targets, I already had a score of 19. I only managed to hit eight of the remaining targets. Now, here's the thing. Those eight targets that I hit, I was surprised as anyone that I was hitting them because my offhand game is so weak. But what's huge there is that had nothing to do with the rifle, and I know that. It had nothing to do with the scope, and I know that. And it also had nothing to do with the ammunition. That was 100% across the board, all me and my lack of preparation, albeit um, I didn't even know about the match until... um, well, I learned about the match at about 4 p.m. on Friday, and I was at the range at uh, 8 a.m. on Saturday. So, you know, 14 hours later, uh, no, I'm sorry, 16 hours later, after learning about the match, I'm, you know, there uh, getting ready to shoot it. So um, what's, what's fantastic about that, though, I had a great time. My shooting was terrible, but... I know that's not a factor of the rifle. It's not a factor of the scope. It's not a factor of the ammunition. I know that all comes down to me needing to practice and get better at my offhand game. In the long range match, just as a a side note, the particular lot of Lapua Center X that I shoot uh, in that Kimber, it also shoots exceptionally well in my Voodoo. And I took my Voodoo along as uh, the rifle to use for the long range match. Uh, thankfully, in that match, um, I did uh, uh, considerably better because it's more of the type of match I'm accustomed to shooting. And um, out of a uh, on that target, or on I'm sorry, on that match, when you're shooting targets, you're shooting five per score at each range. So. Uh, the best possible score is a 20. I happened to 
uh, drop one round on uh, the ram and another ram, uh, round on the turkey. And I ended up with an 18 out of 20. Um, so I was very pleased with that. Uh, thankfully, I was fortunate enough to to win the match, uh, the long range match. And uh, that softened the blow a little bit of being absolutely schooled and humbled uh, in that first match. But I tell you that long story about shooting in that match because I, I wanted to explain the, the difference that having the right ammunition can make. At no point during either of those matches was I concerned about, um, just like with, the, with having good equipment, and good equipment doesn't mean expensive equipment, but having a rifle that you know is accurate and you trust is huge. Having a, a scope on that rifle that you know and trust is huge. If you have a, a Simmons scope that you're comfortable with and you have never had a problem with and it tracks perfectly, man, shoot that thing. Enjoy it. You don't have to go out and buy you know, optics that are uh, thousands and thousands of dollars, especially for, um, you know, depending on what you're type of shooting you're doing but you know if it's if it's consistent reliable shoot it and enjoy it but not having to worry about the rifle the scope and also not having to worry about the inconsistency of the ammunition is huge so the reason that um, so much testing is done though on those lot numbers going back to my original um, topic here the reason those bench rest shooters test and test and test is because they'll find variations from lot to lot in how they group in their rifle and, and different things along those lines. But equally important is the consistency of the ammunition. And to an extent, I've always been told that you get what you pay for in life. And I think this is true to an extent in everything from, um, well, it's it's consistent from you know cars to ATVs to um, guns, ammunition, lots of different things like that. Um, most of the time, you know whether it's cars, guns, whatever, as you're paying more. In some cases, you you know we've all heard the expression "you're paying for the name," and let's face it, you, you know. If you have a company, and I'll use Onshoots as a great example, Onshoots is world-renowned as some of the most accurate rimfires in the world. They've earned that. They've earned that title through the years, and without question, they are definitely some of the most accurate rimfires in the world. And so, is that to say that someone can't take their CZ 452 or 455 or one of the new 457s and outshoot a particular Onshoots? Not really, but Onshoots is traditionally the most consistent or one of the most consistent companies out there. So when it comes to ammunition, why does that matter? Well, if you remember when I was talking about the group of shooters, uh, the four older gentlemen that uh, I know that shoot so much, those guys were upgrading their equipment, but they were still getting very frustrated with the way their rifles were performing. And it wasn't the rifles in most cases. In a couple of cases, it was. Um, we won't talk about those particular scope brands today, but a couple of the, the scopes that they've had uh, from different manufacturers um, had to be sent back for repair. 
And to the credit of, of both scope manufacturers, they sent out new scopes to replace those. And, you know, that's part of their, quote, lifetime warranty. But at the same time, you know, terribly frustrating, especially when someone has shot probably, well, one of the guys uh, that they were sharing a story with me, he had shot close to 300 rounds that day um, thinking something was wrong with his rifle because this, what he ultimately figured out was the scope wasn't tracking properly. Um, but he spent a lot of time shooting that day, got very frustrated, uh, shot up a fair amount of, inf- of um, ammunition just to find out that it was a problem with his optic. But anyway, getting back to the ammunition, these guys kept telling me, there's no way, Chris, we're going to pay $10 a box or $11 a box or $15 a box or whatever it happens to be. We're not going to pay that much to shoot ammunition in a 22. After all, Chris, it's just a 22. And that is, that's one of my, the, the sayings I've heard my entire life. And, and as I've become more involved in shooting rim fires, I just, I cringe and I laugh all at the same time when people say that. Because everyone says that, that it's ever said it's just a 22. If you take those folks and they really like to shoot and you show them what a 22 can do, especially at range, suddenly it's no longer just a 22. Now it's a precision rimfire and it's a lot of fun to shoot. So these guys originally were telling me, you know what? No way we're going to shoot this cheap ammo because, hey man, it's just a 22. And so in having a conversation with them one day, um, one of the guys was particularly frustrated and it just so happens that I had been at the range that day and I had a uh, partial box of center X. It was an old lot. It was, the, it was, I think it was around 35 or maybe 40 rounds left in that box, but it was the last box of that particular lot that I had. And I just handed it to him. I said, look, the next time you guys go shoot, shoot some of this and see what you think. And you're going to hear me talk a lot on this podcast about Lapua Center X. Um, in most of my rifles, it shoots very, very well. Are there other rounds that perform better in certain rifles? Yes. Is it, do, do the other rounds perform well enough to justify the cost difference? Um, not really, not for the type of shooting that I do. Um, are there rounds that are cheaper that shoot well? Yeah, there's, there are some, um, but the reason that I have settled on center X for all of my target shooting is for one very specific reason. And it's the reason that I'm, I was just getting to with the story. It's consistency. Consistency is huge in the rimfire world. If you remember, I'm talking about the bench rest shooters, those bench rest shooters fire one round at each target. And that's it. So if they're reading the wind properly and they're doing everything they should do, that round should go where it goes. It's supposed to go. But with some ammunition, particularly some of the bulk ammunition, uh, which is typically found in like the buckets, you know, 1400 rounds or 1600 rounds, um, you know, the big cans full of 500 rounds of ammunition, stuff like that. That bulk ammunition is a lot of fun to go out and blast away with and, and play with. The challenge is 
you may fire four rounds that shoot a phenomenally tight group and then have a fifth round that flies, you know, an inch or two high or a couple of inches low or whatever. And what happened there was this ammunition is being produced in bulk. So that particular round, if it went a little high, it got an extra grain or two of powder in, in the case. If it went a little low, it got one or two grains less powder. And when you have those types of things happen, your accuracy will suffer. And with this group of shooters, because they were having that, that very thing happen, it's because they were shooting ammunition that's, that's just not consistent. And they didn't understand the ammunition's lack of consistency was the problem. They thought it was something they were doing. Either they were, they were moving in their position or they were having problems with their scope or whatever the case may be. And what that was leading to was these guys were spending a lot of time really trying to dial in um, their rifles and just get everything perfect and shooting out to distance. But they weren't enjoying it. They were actually getting really frustrated with the entire process because they couldn't get consistent groups. But they just didn't realize that the, the reason they weren't getting those consistent groups, it was because the ammunition they were using was so inconsistent. So that's the reason why uh, when you see a lot of people shooting in NRL type matches or the PRS style matches, um, at least a majority of the shooters that I know are shooting either Lapua Center X or maybe Lapua Midas, which is uh, a step up in uh, um, price and in some cases performance uh, from Lapua. Uh, I know a lot of other shooters that are using either the Ely Match or Ely Black Box, as a lot of people like to call it, or even Ely 10X. Um, that's the reason for it, because those shooters are very competitive, and they're looking for that, that ultimate consistency and accuracy. Um, is that to say that you can't find some SK standard, which happens to be great ammunition, or SK Long Range, another really good ammunition. Um, is that to say that you can't find some of that that will shoot as well in your rifle? Not at all. Um, maybe your rifle likes those or Ely Target, or maybe it likes federal uh, some of the federal ammunition. The goal or, or the point is, if you'll spend a little time figuring out what your rifle likes, it will make a world of difference for you when it comes time to go shoot and it will increase the amount of fun you're having, whether it's just an informal competition with yourself, seeing if you can shoot a group smaller than the previous group you shot, or you're out with your buddies and just shooting groups for bragging rights, or if you're in a match. And in some matches, like the ones that I shoot in, there's no, there's no trophy, there's no title, it's just bragging rights for, for one month, getting to say, I won the match or you beat me and I'll get you next month. Um, and some of the other matches, there's, there's some pretty significant prizes on the line. Um, maybe there's a prize table with the match where, you know, the person who wins gets to go to that prize table first, and maybe they're getting a certificate for either a new scope or a new rifle, or maybe it's a huge discount off of a scope or a rifle. 
Um, you know, in some cases, maybe it's cash, but there's lots of different ways uh, or reasons to to try to find the ammunition that shoots well for you. And the same thing holds true for any of us that are out doing any hunting with our rimfires or, you know, our 22s, um, small game, rabbit, squirrels, things like that. Um, having quality hunting ammunition is no different than having quality um, target ammunition. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked with someone who would complain about squirrel hunting with the 22 and then they would complain and say, well, it just tears up the meat too much. And the reason for that is they were trying to shoot that squirrel in the head, but maybe the rifle isn't zeroed exactly as it should be. Maybe they moved a little bit. Maybe the squirrel moved, but a lot of times those those squirrels that should be getting shot in the head are actually getting shot in the body and it's destroying lots of meat. And so having a consistent, consistently accurate hollow point round for hunting is the, it's, it's the exact same thing as having that consistent, consistently accurate um, target ammunition for when you're shooting in a match. It takes the stress and worry out because you know that if you do your part, and you hold that rifle steady and you gently squeeze the trigger, then the bullet should go where you want it to go. So uh, I know I've spent a lot of time here um, coming up on um, um, you know, the time limit here for the podcast. I've tried to keep these to about an hour or under, but just wanted to share this with you. Um, it's a huge topic of conversation that I see online all the time, as well as in the local matches. And it really is the difference or can be the difference between having a great day at the range or an incredibly frustrating day at the range. You know, when everything else is going well, the rifles doing its job, the optics are doing their job. And the only thing left is just the ammunition and you. So if you, if you know the rifle's good, that takes care of the rifle. If you know the optics are good, that's taken care of. If you know that the ammunition is good, then the only thing you have to worry about is you. And um, we'll talk about that in a future episode because, frankly, I think that is the hardest thing to master. Um, I, I won't speak for everybody, but I will speak for me. And um, there are times where the guy screaming in my head to hurry up and, and pull the trigger is uh, that's the biggest challenge I face when shooting a match. So for all you guys that are out there shooting great ammo, continue it. For those of you that haven't tried uh, some of the better ammunition, give it a shot. Spend a few dollars, see what happens, see how your rifle likes it. So that's it for today's Rimfire Tactical Podcast. Remember to keep shooting, keep having fun, but also remember, it's not just a twenty-two.